Ring the bell. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the WrestleCast review of Monday Night Raw. I'm Shozy. My name's Joe. And together, our tag team brings to you the latest updates and results of Monday Night Raw, which was known as Championship Monday this week. Yeah, that was interesting. I mean, how many title matches did we have? There were three, weren't there? There were, in fact, no, there were four. Fair enough. I'll, get, I'll let them off. There were four title matches. Some of them were a bit of a non-event, but yeah, I'll let them off. It was all right. Decent start. Drew came down to the ring. It was clear that he was putting his past rivalry behind him. Looking forward to the future now, which is nice to see a new challenger. And then Dolph Ziggler appeared out of nowhere, made an entrance and said, I'm owed a WWE title shot. And Drew pretty much said, Okay, everyone, it's official. It sounded more like he was conducting a light-hearted office meeting than setting a match for Extreme Rules, <laughs> didn't it? For me, it was just another example of Drew needing more practice at putting over a character on a microphone. Yeah, I mean, if it's that easy to get a title shot, I'd love to walk into the performance center and ask for one right away as soon as I see Drew. Hey, Drew, can I have a championship match? Yeah, sure, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> if it's that easy to do it, I don't really like to see that, but... Again, Ziggler has stepped up to the plate for so many years, but he's just been overlooked so many times. So I think this is a really good opportunity for him to get back on the title track. True. You're like AJ Styles. No no handouts. Everything's got to be earned. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, but yeah, it's good to see Dolph Ziggler back in the title picture. Uh, he's a great in-ring competitor, and he belongs near the top of the cards. He's been frittering around for a while. He did refer to his tag team partners, Bobby Roode. I really hope that's over. I was never a big fan of the tag team anyway. So I hope that doesn't re-emerge. But yeah, God, you know, like it just had no atmosphere about it. Dolph came out and I thought, oh, this could be interesting. And yeah, it was just very nice and lighthearted. You know, where was the attitude? To be fair to Dolph, he did give a, a very expressive promo about why he deserves this chance. Mm. What I liked about it was that he said that he was the one who actually picked up Drew from the ground up again once he returned mm. to the main roster, got him going again, got him into the title picture, and it's all because of Ziggler that McIntyre's champion today. So that just goes on to show that, okay, Dolph Ziggler was that little boost that gave McIntyre everything he has today. But yeah, I agree with you. If McIntyre were to put this in a more expressive perspective as well, it would have been much better to see rather than like you said, an office meeting. So I was mm. hoping to see more expression, more anger, more more emotions from McIntyre. Yeah, just a bit more character and persona would have been great to add a bit of atmosphere and intensity to the situation. But speaking of more, I did enjoy it when he referred to himself as Big Daddy Claymore. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> that doesn't sound like a PG kind of name. And it just didn't, didn't really compliment his, his character. I mean, who is he? Like, we've heard him called a plethora of different random names. Like, just stick with one. You know, you can't fit everything on a t-shirt, Dolph. Choose a persona, choose a character, choose a gimmick and run with it. Because at the moment, I don't know who or what you're supposed to be. Well, he can go as the Scottish psychopath known as Big Daddy Claymore. Like the artist formerly known as Prince. It's a bit long-winded. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good way to get the fans talking. It's a good way to engage people. In yeah, and I'm glad we're getting a new rivalry ahead of Extreme Rules as well. I didn't want a rematch. Yeah, neither did I. But 
it's surprising to me how easily championship matches were handed out. This episode is like it's like Oprah handing out cars on her show. Like, hey, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. But in this case, I want a championship. I want a championship. You want it, you get it. Here you go. Yeah. And some people, this was even their second shot at the same championship for some people that we see along the way. So, yeah, apparently, if you don't win the first time as well, you, can, you just get another try. So losing means nothing anymore. So what's the point? Exactly. I'm expecting something new out of WWE every week, but we're going to get some of the same old. But like you just mentioned, people were given second chances and some were given thirds. Staying on that topic, a person who was trying to get her third chance on the Raw Women's Championship, Nia Jax came out after this little kickoff mm. by McIntyre. And as we can expect, she threw what Charlotte Flair described as a hissy fit when she came on out later. But can we just say, truth saved us all. The first <laughs> 10 minutes of this segment from having to hear Nia Jax go on ranting about why she deserves another chance. Our truth came out as soon as Nia Jax went in and sat on the chair and tried to speak. He came up to Nia Jax telling her about his 24-7 I-95 South European, whatever he calls it, 7-Eleven championship title shot that Akira Tozawa had. And he straight up asked Naya if she was a ninja in disguise. But what do we see? Akira Tozawa pop up behind the commentators and R-Truth surprised out of his boots, screaming that there are now two Akira Tozawas in disguise right in front of him. From there, it kind of took the obvious turn of someone interfering, someone ranting, that someone being Nia Jax. Why don't you tell us what more about this, Joe? I literally had no idea what was going on. Like, why is R-Truth coming out? they mistaking Nia Jax for Tozawa. I mean, it was funny because R-Truth is gold, but why? Again, it was just an example of what we've been seeing over recent weeks on Raw, where everything's just a mess, where there's absolutely no need things to happen because we end up seeing people again later in the night. This was one of what, three times that we saw Nia Jax across the evening? Honestly, I thought I had double vision. So yeah, R-Truth came out, mistook Nia Jax for a ninja, and then there was a bit of a scuffle. And then eventually Charlotte Flair came up for the first of many appearances to which Nia Jax said, oh, you know, your dad was the one that helped you with your career. You're only here because of him. Meanwhile, I was thinking, aren't you only here because of The Rock? Like, isn't your dad The Rock's cousin? <laughs> I was like, that's a bit rich, Nia. And Charlotte just didn't even allude to that, which I thought was odd. And yeah, that cascaded into a fight as well. I was glad to see that Nia and Charlotte have found a rivalry and that they're keeping them away from the title scene because I think they both need a break from it. But I just thought, what a mess. What an absolute mess. Just have a separate 24-7 title segment, which we then got later anyway, and have a separate Charlotte and Nia segment, which we got about four times across the night anyway. So it was just a bit of a mess for me. I don't get why they had to have Charlotte do the entire entrance. This could have just been one of those things where Nia could have come out briefly before the title match against Asuka and just bragged about how she deserved another chance, gotten into the fight with Charlotte. And like mm. we saw, Charlotte injured her left shoulder, causing her issues the entire night, which Asuka and Nia both took advantage of. So that could have been way different compared to what we saw. Appearances could have been less, and it could have been more entertaining. Was it played properly? I mean, for me, it just didn't make sense. Yeah, it just was not played out properly. Like, if she's going to pick a fight with Charlotte Flair, do it during Charlotte's title shot with Asuka later and come out 
was a distraction or something and you think, oh, she's going to go for Oscar. No, she's gone for Charlotte. What a surprise. Do something like that. Set the scene and then have the fallout next week. Don't pick a fight with someone like Charlotte Flair. Likewise, if you're Charlotte, don't come out and have a go at Nia Jax. If you know you've got a match with Oscar for the title later, it doesn't add up. Don't go making more enemies before a fight with a different enemy. Like, it just doesn't make sense. I don't didn't see the point. It would have made more sense if another person came out from the locker room saying that they deserve a shot now that Nia has had so many already and blew them all off. But it's kind of a angle I'm looking forward to see because you mm. have both competitors who have a lot of blood in this business. So for them to go into family versus family would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I was quite excited by the thought of this idea. Like I say, it takes them out of the title scene and it's a decent rivalry for the sake of a decent rivalry and it could be really good. But I think what we saw across one night could have been taken across two weeks, three weeks even. The amount of promos and attacks, aftermath, climax, anti-climax. I just thought, why is all this happening? Why is it being rammed down my throat? We've got three, four weeks until Extreme Rules. And because that's when the match is going to be, isn't it? But why, why is this happening now? So that was that. And it was the start of a few very clumsy segments I felt where it was a bit all over the place and it took us up to a recap of the Street Profits versus the Viking Raiders rivalry that seems to have lasted longer than the hair on my head. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the end, quite intriguingly, they had a bit of a moment. They said, oh, I'm going to beat you. You know, we're going to beat you. And then they put their fists together and shout Viking Profits and go their separate ways ahead of the match before Zelina and Vega came along just putting herself into the picture and made me think, "Mm, I wonder what's going on here. So that was quite intriguing. But it begged me this question, and maybe you know more about this. What happened to Bianca Belair? She was with the Street Profits, and I thought, wow, that's a really good fit. I can see on your face through the webcam, you're like, oh yeah, Bianca Belair was with the Street Profits for like two weeks. (laughs) And then she just disappeared. What? What's that all about? I think this when I watch their matches sometimes because if they're pulling out this storyline now with the Street Profits and Andrade and Garza, I definitely want to be able to see Bianca Belair in this because they have Zelina Vega who's obviously going to interfere like we've seen in the past. And it's going to be pretty amazing to see Bianca Belair into the fold as well because everyone involved in this storyline are absolutely amazing athletes and competitors. and It would be yeah. great to see them go head to head. For sure. I really think Bianca will just add that extra dynamic in terms of the promos and mic work for the Street Profits because, let's face it, every week the Street Profits just recap what we've already seen. Like, immediately before their match, they're like, oh, and this happened, and then then we took on the Viking Raiders there. I'm like, yeah, I know, I watch it every week, and I suffer through <laughs> it, and now you're just reminding me of what I've already watched. It's just a bit painful. But when they did have Bianca, I thought, yeah, this is good. This is that kind of spice that they really need to give them some heat. So it would be nice to see her back sooner rather than later so that it doesn't feel a bit forced. Anyway, that took us into the match for what feels like the 500th time. At least it was a wrestling match this time. Street Profits versus the Viking Raiders for the Raw Tag Team titles. How did this one unfold? This one was a good match. I wouldn't say it was a bad match. And we got to see both teams do what they're great at, and that is perform inside a wrestling ring rather than have turkey Mm. like eating competitions or go bowling. Mm. This match played out really well. I loved it. There was a lot of athleticism for both teams. And especially yeah. for the size of Angelo Dawkins, Ivar, and Eric, mm. 
They're absolutely yeah. phenomenal and absolutely athletic for their size. They're doing cartwheels. They're doing flips. They're doing everything we'd expect to see from someone who's much smaller and with a high flying ability. I think the Viking Raiders actually came off amazingly well in this match. I think they looked great. So it was kind of bittersweet because it was clear from what happened at the end that this rivalry is kind of over and the Viking Raiders are going to be pushed out of the title scene. But it didn't do them any harm to be in it because they really gave a great display. Speaking of being pushed out of the title scene, the reason why is because Andrade and Gaza snuck up and attacked the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders after the Street Profits scored a win. And I have got written down here in big letters, yay, with loads of ticks written around it, <laughs> because this is exactly what I wanted to happen. And I'm hoping it seems like everything's been smoothed over between those two guys after a bit of trouble in paradise. What are your thoughts? Well, I think this is going to be a good rivalry, should it go all the way to Extreme Rules and possibly into a title match. And we've already seen Andrade and Garza do absolutely amazing things in the ring. And Selena Vega is just a huge boost behind them that keeps everything together, keeps everything even more entertaining. And to see yeah. them go up against the Street Profits would be amazing because athleticism, like I just mentioned, would be off the charts. It would be an amazing yeah. match. It would be good storytelling. And it would be a very exciting rivalry to see because there are a lot of surprises that could turn up. I think they could be a great team, Andrade and Gaza. We've seen them work together before, but not necessarily as a strictly unified tag team. But going forward, it's something I think I could get on board with. I do often criticise the WWE when they just pitch two random single competitors together and throw the tag belts on them. But I feel like this would work. They've got the dynamic and chemistry to function as a high-quality team. So... I'm all for it. So like you say, I think that's going to develop across the weeks. And another thing that is developing beautifully is the build between Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio. And we saw the first appearance from Seth Rollins cut promo where he described himself and everybody uh, being destined for roles beyond our own character. I just thought it was very ominous. I loved it. If you want to look at someone who can execute great character work, look no further. This guy is doing a fantastic job at the moment. Absolutely. It's amazing to see the way that Seth Rollins has handled himself from the start of his gimmick, from which I personally thought was an absolutely bad idea because I didn't see it going anywhere. Fast forward to now, where I absolutely mm -hmm. love this character. I've fallen yeah. in love with this character in the span of about two to three weeks because mm -hmm. of this amazing promos, amazing matches, amazing segments that Seth Rollins has put up himself. And this one stuck to me specifically because he was one of those people who was looking into oblivion when he was backstage and with Buddy Murphy and Austin Theory trying to speak to him about the night. And it was like, he's out for blood, but he's thinking about whatever sinister thoughts are going in his head, trying to get everything together so he can deliver that very, like you said, ominous message to the WWE Universe and to Rey Mysterio. Everything about this character works. His language in a promo, in terms of the vocabulary he uses, so he uses silence really well as well. Sometimes less is more with what he says. And the same in the ring, his ring language, if you will, his moveset, the way he responds to things. Again, the pause that he sometimes leaves before attacking his prey kind of thing. Everything just complements the kind of persona he's trying to put across and that's why i think he's one of the best best characters best on-screen talents in the business at the moment and it was the first time we saw him across the night and i've got to say it was probably one of the only guys i didn't get bored of seeing 
across the night because we did see a lot of different people and I didn't really get bored of this one. I feel like that you can't get bored of the character that Seth Rollins is portraying at this time because it's so much that you expect out of it and there's so much you're looking forward to. Like I always mm. say with any match that AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan are involved in, you're always on the edge of your seat wanting more. You always want that little extra from the both of them. This is what we're getting from Seth Rollins. He has us on the edge of our seats. He has us wanting more every time he's on screen or every time he's doing something. And it's absolutely amazing to see that he can really transform a character from nothing into it's everything I'm looking for out of his competitor in WWE. For sure. And that wouldn't be the last we see of Seth Rollins. Why don't you soak us through what happened next? Right after Seth Rollins delivered this message, we got to see Charlotte come out of the doctor's room, aiding her left shoulder, which had been injured and had been wrapped up in... It's like police caution tape. I have no idea what it is or where they get it. It looks cool. It looks like it's closing off a crime scene. I guess you could call Charlotte's shoulder a bit of a crime scene because it looked absolutely devastating, especially after Nia Jax put the foot in earlier on. So, yeah, Charlotte was nursing an injury. She'd come out of the doctor's waiting room and then we saw charlie caruso find her a secret admirer not so much of a secret admirer but her admirer angel garza in the corner speaking to both andrade and zelina vega she walked up to them and asked why they attacked the street profits in what was a shocking and they said that they're going right after the title and Zelina backed everything up, who was obviously also mad at Caruso for giving the love eyes to Garza. She said that what you're seeing right here is a unified unit. They're going to work together and they're going to have the tag team championships around their waists. And Andrade backed that up even more by saying that they're not going to hold back on anything. So the Street Profits should expect more. Yeah, and again, I'm looking forward to that one. I think it's going to develop across the coming weeks. I'm guessing we'll get a title match at Extreme Rules. And I'm going to call it now. I think they're going to win. I think Street Profits are going to hand over the belts. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. The Street Profits won the titles at the time where it was their last chance, and they've held it for a very long time since. So putting the titles on Andrade and Garza would be the perfect choice at this time because they're both up and coming and they have the potential I think going forward, just to kind of go off topic here, when that title reign eventually comes to an end and those guys go their separate ways, maybe their fallout will cascade into a singles title scene. I can see these guys being best of friends and best of enemies for years to come. So that would be quite interesting. Now, for the third time in the evening, we got to see Charlotte Flair again. <laughs> Does anyone else work at the WWE? <laughs> <laughs> well, this was a very big surprise to me. We've seen Charlotte on TV mm. three times now. They should call it Monday Night Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily this time it wasn't because she was brawling with Nia Jax. It wasn't because we were getting an update on her injured shoulder. It was for what I would say was a entertaining match for the women's title against Asuka. It was this, a good match. It definitely was. The story was told perfectly. And like we mentioned before, both stars have absolutely amazing chemistry. And it was good to see that despite having the injured shoulder, Charlotte was trying to show everyone that it doesn't matter if I'm injured, I'm going to still give him my best. I'm still going to go after whoever it is that comes after me. And it was good to see that Asuka was working on that injured shoulder. Like we mentioned mm. many a time that some superstars don't really pay attention to that body part that's been worked on and they don't really mm. sell it that well. But 
in this case, Charlotte sold it perfectly well. Oscar worked on it amazingly. And we had these little bursts of possible showings that Asuka was probably going to lose the title because Charlotte was fighting so hard with that injured arm. Mm. And then in the end, it was her surprise because Asuka took advantage of Charlotte bumping her injured shoulder into the ring post and put her in the Asuka lock. Mm. And to my surprise, I never thought this would be the case to end the match. Charlotte tapped to the Asuka lock. I was gobsmacked. I was astounded. I was waiting for Nia Jax. We knew she was watching backstage. I thought the writing was on the wall here. But no, she lost clean by a tap out. It's almost unheard of. But a very welcome clean loss. There's absolutely nothing wrong to losing to Oscar. It's not a blemish on anybody's record. It's about time, really. You know, I think Oscar's been on the wrong end of a couple of their matches. And it was great to see. Like I said earlier, though, you know, had Nia Jax not come out and sat on a chair in the middle of the ring and kind of bored us all to sleep, then it would have been the opportune moment for her to come out and sabotage that match. But seeing as that had already happened previously, it it was really welcoming to see that come to a clean end. Here's a thought for you. What do you think about Nia Jax possibly becoming the women's champion at Extreme Rules? Should this become... Uh, a triple threat between Charlotte, Nia, and Asuka. Nia becomes champ, but then that elevates a different superstar to step up and take the plate, and then Asuka can be out doing her own thing since she's already been built up to a high level again. I don't think much about it. I'm a huge Asuka fan. <laughs> let, uh, <laughs> let the Empress reign supreme forever. I don't know. I feel like Asuka does her best in out-and-out wrestling matches. And I think there's so much talent on the women's roster at the moment that it would be great to elevate a whole series of superstars into that title picture across her reign. Personally, I think it'd be good. I really want to see Asuka versus Natalia, for example, in a decent title match, especially now Natalia's taking that heel approach. That would be a great match. I think there's more to do before they go into something like that. And I'm still not completely on board with Nia Jax as this unstoppable force because she's always announced as an unstoppable force and then she ends up on her back. So I'd like Nia to come out of this rivalry with Charlotte as the victor, if anything, for me to go, oh, wow, maybe she's qualified for the title scene. But it also gets you thinking when Nia Jax says that it would be a shame if someone kicked the queen while she was down. And then in their encounter right before the start of the night, Nia said that it's time that Nia took the crown off the queen because she was the one mm-hmm. who was the perfect person to do it. So I'm, you're not going to like this, but I'm looking forward to how this storyline plays out. And I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be perfectly well done. Do you think I'm not going to like it because Nia Jax is going to win the title? Yeah, possibly. You're not the biggest fan. It just, it, well, it just takes me back to that really horrifically awkward moment when she was Raw Women's Champion and Ronda Rousey was on the scene and they were at some kind of event and she was there with the belt at some event. <laughs> it was clearly a corporate do and Ronda was just like, hey, it's nice to be here. And now Jack was like, yeah, but can you do this? And just hold <laughs> the belt up in front of her at this corporate event. I was like, what is happening? Like, this is the worst promo ever. And I don't want to see anything remotely like that again. I'd rather see Asuka dance down to the ring and shout in Japanese, personally. <laughs> but ever, each, their, each their own, each their own. And that was it for that one. Very exciting. So far, I was, I was all right with Raw. It was a bit messy, but it took a step in the right direction with an Edge and Orton recap. And then Edge cut quite an intense promo 
oh my gosh, like he was talking about how autumn was relit and how he was relit. The fire inside was inside of him was burning strong and he was going to tear Randy's life down brick by brick. Wowzers. It was absolutely amazing. And like I've been saying for so many weeks since he's returned, that we're not seeing the best out of Edge just yet. We're not seeing that sadistical, psychotic type of Edge that we've seen in the past. We're not seeing the guy that he can be. But after this promo, I'm like, oh yeah, he's definitely back. He's definitely going to do something absolutely crazy. And for him to put in a personal touch of Christian being attacked, a person who he's been best friends for 36 years, it was absolutely perfect. It played well. And it went on to support the fact that that's one of the biggest reasons that he's had to go back to being the edge that was one of the biggest villains. Absolutely. And then, as if that wasn't enough, we were treated to a barn burner of a promo from Randy Orton, who came back in a live interview from the performance center and said, you bat a snake into a corner and it bit. And I just thought, oh my goodness, like, that's, that's amazing. I just love it. I just love it. It was so good. Really keeping up that intensity. It definitely was. And Randy Orton, no doubt, Edge, no doubt, cut the most amazing promos. And they're so believable. Because if I was back in the day, and I was like six, seven years old, I'll believe every word Randy Orton was saying. I'll believe every uh-huh. word Edge was saying, because it was like, oh, wow, they're actually going to do this. And it doesn't sound like they're flinching when they say anything. They mean what they say. And that's exactly what we heard from Randy Orton. Like you said, once you back snake into corner, it strikes. Randy Orton said that he's doing whatever he's doing to make sure that his family is protected and his legacy keeps going. Absolutely. A couple of points I really took from this was going back to what we said earlier about Drew McIntyre on the mic. Look at someone like Randy Orton. He doesn't waste a word. He executes everything as he means articulately just how it needs to be done. He doesn't, doesn't waste a breath. And that's what really gives it its gravitas and its intensity and he's got that kind of character specific jargon if you will a bit like Seth Rollins does Seth Rollins always uses kind of like biblical terms like sacrifice and destiny things like that and it fits his character Orton the viper refers to a snake being backed into a corner it makes sense it creates a picture it adds to the character when you've got someone like Drew McIntyre the WWE champion just saying okay well I guess it's official like you know what's What's that? You know, if you just drawn up a contract, I think there's a lot to be learned from that personally. And also, I think it puts Orton back into the mainframe. We've talked about this before, and he even mentioned it in his promo, how he's re-energized. With Edge out for a few months with his injury, I can envisage the belt going to Orton and then Edge returning for a championship match to then take it off Orton. I know we've entered the realm of fantasy, but that's just kind of what jumped into my head on the back of that. What do you think? It definitely did. Randy Orton's one of those people that you never know what to expect from. One second he's after Edge, the next second he can probably be hitting an RKO on McIntyre for the championship. You never know. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Randy Orton and Seth Rollins have very similar characters when it comes to being crazy, when it comes to being like psychotic, sadistical type of people. They use a lot of, like you said, the same terms but in different variants. And it's good to see that a guy like Randy Orton still has that same spark we saw from him back when he started. And it's always good to see that he can still deliver on whatever he says throughout his promos, throughout his matches, and throughout his segments we see. 
For sure, and I think it's only going to get even more intense as that rivalry builds. And like you say, you never know, we might see Marco Drew McIntyre out of nowhere. So I'm really optimistic about that and Randy's future. <laughs> My gosh, here we go. <laughs> Entry number four for Charlotte Flair. <laughs> you had another interview. And this time we got to see Nia Jax again, just in case you missed her earlier on. Do you want to explain this one? Well, at this point, I thought I was watching the Royal Rumble for some reason because there were so many people <laughs> just coming out like four or five times was on the show. So much of Nia Jax. <laughs> it definitely was. Charlotte was being interviewed backstage and she was asked what she thinks about the win that Asuka got over her. To which Charlotte replied, she isn't the happiest person, but she gives credit to Asuka for the way that she won the match. And right then and there, we get the most original thing to happen on WWE, a sneak attack by Nia Jax. And no, no one expected this. We all thought we were going to get Akira Tozawa and R-Truth pop up. It this, wouldn't have surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> on this one, we saw Nia Jax attack Charlotte Flair and go right for the injured shoulder mm-hmm. again and then slam it into a basket or a trolley, whatever you want to call it, and then have the wooden door go up against her arm. This could have been great because I think Nia Jax shines brightest when she says less and does more. She is an unstoppable force. Like, she's got the build to be an unstoppable force. Just act like it then. You don't need to cut all these promos and you don't need to sound really petty and petulant on the mic. Just be an unstoppable force. Speak with your actions. And if this had been Nia's only action of the night, perhaps. Maybe Charlotte was on her way to the match. Nia just strikes out of nowhere and abuses her shoulder and she gets injured that way. And then Charlotte goes to lose the match. Wow, that's a statement. Yeah, I'd rather have an exclamation mark than four commas across the evening kind of thing. What do you think? Like you said, Nia Jax does more when she's not talking. And like it's always been said, actions speak louder than words. And that's what I've been trying to say. If Nia Jax was just one of those people who just smash every storyline that she's in by going after everyone physically, by attacking them, by showing them that she's the more dominant force, she'd live up to that name of the irresistible force and definitely be on a level where we'd say, oh, wow, okay, yeah, we're liking this, we're liking this. But instead, she's out there delivering promos that aren't really needed. Have her deliver promos only at certain times because then that builds up momentum through her attack, through her actions, and keeps us, like I said, wanting more in the future. Precisely. It's like somebody like The Undertaker or Kane or The Big Show. They are stronger when they say less because when they do eventually talk, you think, oh boy, you know, what's going to happen here? So I would just do your promos with a Simone drop, Naya. Let the Simone drops do the talking. And speaking of dropping, our truths would go on and drop the 24-7 title, but not in the way that you might have expected. R-Truth and Tozawa went to the ring to have their match when what would happen other than Bobby Lashley and attacking a group of ninjas and R-Truth and Tozawa sneaking in to cover R-Truth for the win. What did you make of that? Why? Just just why? (laughs) Right. (laughs) We don't need Lashley to bury pure gold once it's been found again. Pure gold being our truth. You want to have this match? Have the seven foot ninja come and distract our truth. Just do something that doesn't involve Lashley. MVP, I don't mind because he's absolutely pure gold again. 
and I love what he does. But Lashley doesn't really have much to do without MVP. And him hitting a full Nelson every 10 seconds on the show doesn't want me to see more of him. And what I did enjoy was that Tozawa managed to sneak away during this attack, came back when R-Truth was taken out, won the 24-7 title, and celebrated like it was a huge victory. I guess you could say, why don't they rename the company WWY? <laughs> oh my God. But I was at that kind of point of despair at this point in the show. And I was like, why is Bobby Lashley here? I don't know if you've ever seen a film called The Cabin in the Woods. It's the craziest horror film ever. It has every genre of possible horror in. Then all of a sudden at the end, Sigourney Weaver arrives and you're just like, why is Sigourney Weaver here? I felt the exact same thing when Bobby Lashley was coming down the ramp. I was like, is this what we need? Do we need another genre? Lashley, you've already got your fingers in many pies. You've got the whole scene with the WWE title. You've got something to do with Apollo Crews. Why our truth as well? <laughs> Just I know they've kind of had a bit of a debacle since the tag team match, but I don't think it really needed to come to this. And then when you throw in a group of ninjas, <laughs> there were just a lot of question marks over my head. I felt like I was watching a Jackie Chan movie. <laughs> yeah. But if you're a new listener to this show and you just heard Joe's WWY pun, please do not turn us off. It is a weekly thing of wordplay we do here on the show. Send us your own puns. See if you can make us laugh. We love terrible jokes. We absolutely do. And we're all made of them. One thing I'm just going to jump in and say, though, I don't hate the whole Tazawa thing. Like, I know it's a bit like stereotypical and stuff and WWE kind of could shy away from that. But it's putting him over in a really good light. He's entertaining. He's carrying it off well. There's a bit of an element of intrigue with that giant ninja guy. And if you're going to have a kind of comedic faction, if you will, like that, then have it centered around the 24-7 title where no one really cares. Throw our truth at it because there's a chance it might be all right. And if it makes me laugh, then I don't mind. Have those kooky segments. That's okay. Yeah, definitely. And this can be played out so well because our truth can go for the title nonstop, but still have a roadblock in the form of all the ninjas and possibly the seven foot giant. <laughs> what are we talking about? Like, if anyone's tuned in halfway through this to go, oh, let's just catch up. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's going to be our truth some ninjas and a seven foot giant. <laughs> it sounds like we're talking about something from a Disney movie or like a fairy tale. <laughs> but no, this is real. This is the World Wrestling Entertainment Monday Night Raw with a troop of ninjas and a seven-foot giant. <laughs> WWE presents the Ninja Truth. Stop it. <laughs> Let's move on fast. One thing I did enjoy about the show was Natalia's slow heel turn. She's kind of been a bit undecided over the last few weeks because she acted really nastily by trashing Kevin Owens' show and then came out next week with tail between her legs saying, I'm sorry, I was just in a really bad mood. But it does appear that she's going down the road of being a heel. She'd do well to drop the cat ears, might I add. Can you really be a villain with the cat ears? I mean, it didn't work for Halle Berry and Catwoman. <laughs> but I like this whole relationship she's got going on with Lana. I think it's fresh. It'll give Lana some guidance and it reinvents Lana a bit too. We've not seen Natalia as a heel for a long time. I think this could have some legs. What do you think? Definitely. We were about to see Charlotte pop up for the fifth time on TV, but... Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm tapping out. I'm tapping out. <laughs> but Natalia stopped that from happening and came out to say that she was very sad about what had happened to Charlotte and she really feels that the women's division needs her leadership. Which I feel, yeah, okay. I can go with that. I can get behind that because Natalia is one of the vets. 
But in the mm-hmm. women's division, she knows what to do. She knows how to run it. So I can definitely go up and say that, yeah, Natalia could lead this entire division into a better place. And it was even better to see because she left us thinking when she said that I have an announcement to make. You should have come to me first and you would have heard my big announcement. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you now because I have my match coming up. So that leaves us wondering what's going to happen next week. It was nice. It was kind of old school. I liked it. And I didn't dislike the match between Natalia and Liv Morgan. I really like Liv Morgan. I think she's got a lot going for her. It wasn't your traditional Natalia match either, which just kind of complements her changing character. It was a lot more of a vicious Natalia that we saw this time, less technical. She did pick up the win with the sharpshooter, as you would expect. But it was good to see a different aspect of Natalia. It was good to see her execute a match in a way that complemented a new character. And then we saw Lana and Natalia leave together. Again, I've said it before, I think it's fresh. It reinvents Lana. I'm happy to see this one develop. Like you say, she's planted the seed for next week. I was happy. I was too. Natalia is one of those people who is good at both technical wrestling and just picking up the pace right off from the start. And the way that she kicked everything into high gear as soon as the mask started today is something that more I want to see from Natalia. She has that ability to bust out the big moves, make it more entertaining, and make it more easier to watch for people who are not really accustomed to the more technical stuff. They like the bigger moves, the flashy moves. And like you said, Liv Morgan is absolutely amazing. I love her. She's building up potentially to, I'd say, a very good singles run. And we were teased later on in the night. We were teased about a potential reunion between Liv Morgan and a former partner of hers which we will get to later but Liv Morgan has the great ability to go really far possibly win a championship in her singles run and I'm looking forward to how Lana and Natalia play their angle out especially after Lana helped Natalia win the Mm. match today through a distraction for sure I am on board that train for now and speaking about trains that I wouldn't want to get in front of it's the big show he is back I thought maybe it was just a one-off recently but it looks like he's back with us for a sh- for a time yay Woo! <laughs> every time we talk about the big show one of us should have to sing this team <laughs> where have we got to <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I feel like I'm in an episode of Monday Night Raw. So yeah, we, we had the big show back. And I liked it because it looks like we're getting a more vicious big show. We're not getting the big friendly giant edition. He kind of started off teasing like, oh, it's good to be back. And then in a deep voice was like, you know, I'm back. I'm nasty. And I'm here to do some damage. And it was good to see it. I loved that version of the big show. It was short, it was sweet. I was happy with it. And then we moved on to Ric Flair coming down to the ring to honor Randy Orton as the greatest wrestler ever after he won the greatest wrestling match ever. Shows he. It was a good segment. It was a good interview, Mm. good promos as always. And the dirtiest player in the game being there made it even more fun to watch because you don't know if he's going to pull off something on Randy Orton, if he's going to betray him, if he's just there Mm -hmm. to bask in the glory for himself. We've seen him to be one of those people who makes everything about himself and wants to spotlight 24-7. But it was good to see that we were shown a possible reunion between two members of Evolution, how they could possibly work together in the future to get the upper hand on everyone they go against. But we got the big show here as well, who moments before said that he's going Mm. to become a animal who's out for blood. And this promo that he set out with absolutely set the scene. 
Woo! Yeah, we got the big show. He came down and interrupted Randy Orton and the legend Ric Flair and said, Edging Christian, long-time buddies of mine, what you did to them was wrong. I'm going to tell you apart, essentially. To which Randy Orton replied, You are a legend. It would be a shame if you went the same way as Edge and Christian. I'm about that match. I think it'd be good. But the writing's on the wall a bit. I'm a bit over the big show putting people over and ending up on his back. Because that's what's going to happen, isn't it? Like The big show's not going to win there. No, it doesn't look like it. Looks like the big show is going to be another legend slayed by the legend killer. But it was good to see that most of the segments and interviews tonight had a personal touch to it. In this one, it was when the big show said he was going to take both Ric Flair and Randy Orton out. Randy Orton telling him that you can't do anything to us. We're all great friends and there's absolutely no way you can hurt us. And then you could see the look on Big Show's face. Like, okay, yeah, he's telling the truth. How am I supposed to hurt these people I've worked for over 20 years mm-hmm. with and who are such great friends of mine? So it was good to see that. But it was even better to see that the Big Show actually put his hands up ready to fight. But Randy Orton was one of those sneaky type of people. And like, nope, we're not going to do this now. We're going to do this on my terms. Yeah, being the Viper, he slithered out of the ring in a very snake-like fashion living to fight another day. It was intriguing. I'm looking forward to seeing it again. But it did make me think, did we really need that interview with the Big Show five minutes before? If Big Show had just come out of nowhere and gone, hey, I'm back, I'm nasty, and what you did was wrong, I'm here to teach you a lesson, I'd have been happy with that. I didn't need him five minutes ago going, I'm back and I'm nasty, and then to see him again and just remind us that he's back and nasty. It just felt like a real anticlimax, kind of lost a bit of impact. I'd have preferred it if it was just a one-time thing. I don't know if they're trying to fill time time or what but it just seems that there are a lot of these bonus segments at the moment that needn't be there what do you think if they are trying to fill time i don't know why they're trying to fill time the shows have been packed the last two weeks Mm. the show we saw last week packed with segments way too much to take in as a viewer this one was pretty packed as well but i don't know if they're trying to fill in time this is not the best way to do it put on some better matches put on something that the fans want to see i don't want to see interviews and segments that just drag itself and possibly end up with me going like, okay, I'm done with this. I don't want to watch this anymore. But it's good to see that the people we thought we'd never see again, such as The Big Show and so many other people are coming back in slowly into the wrestling scene on WWE and they're getting more TV time. They're getting matches teased in the future. So I'm happy with that. Yeah, I think the pace felt a bit quicker this week. I didn't feel as though it was quite as onerous and laborious to get to the end of the show. Like, I remember last week thinking, oh my gosh, is this still on? But the pace seemed a bit quicker. It was a bit of a thinner show in terms of segments. But yeah, still very long-winded and work to do. And speaking of people coming back, the Iconics were hoping to come back and reclaim their WWE Tag Team titles in the women's division where they were going to face Bailey and Sasha Banks, the current WWE Women's Tag Team champions. Overall, I thought this was a good match. It had good chemistry. Sasha would eventually go on and shine and get the win. And it was good. I thought before we talk about the bit at the end, which was the really special bit for me, I thought the actual wrestling was decent. It definitely was. And to see that the Bailey and Sasha storyline of potentially drifting apart became more deeper in this when Bailey literally commanded Sasha Banks to start the match instead of her was very interesting to see because Sasha's there like what you you want me to start the match and all of a sudden there's a big boot out of Billy Kay and a quick pin we're like oh wow, wow. okay they're gonna lose they're gonna lose they're gonna lose but no they kicked out they fought well the comeback was pretty good and Sasha as always did what she does best in the ring and that is just dominate over the opponent. 
I thought you were going to say, and wears great clothes, since <laughs> every week you've always got something to say about Sasha's outfits. We will talk about Sasha's amazing ring attire in a moment, but it was the end of this match that really grabbed my attention, because we've been saying for weeks now, this slow build between Sasha and Bailey, they're going to go head-to-head eventually, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. Instinctively, I felt they were pulling the trigger too soon when Sasha said, Bailey, I'm, I'm a bit jealous I want a title match. And that's why at Extreme Rules, and I thought, oh, really? Extreme Rules? Are you going to pull a trigger just by asking pleasantly for a title match? But no, she said, Extreme Rules. Oscar, I want the Raw Women's title. And I just could not stop grinning because you could see Bailey groan in fear. And then the relief on her face when Sasha actually named Oscar was just priceless. This was so good. It was absolutely amazing. It gave you that vibe as a kid that when you've done something wrong or you think you've done something wrong, hey, did you do it? Because I I know you did it. And then all of a sudden, someone from the back comes in and says, no, 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 it was me. And you release all that pressure. It was that type of scene with Bailey when she finally found out that Sasha wasn't going to take her SmackDown Women's title. For sure. And it was probably more a legitimate fear because recently Sasha's really had the limelight in the tag matches, including the end of this match where Bailey had been knocked off the apron and Sasha picked up the win kind of single-handedly for the team, showing how strong she is as a singles competitor. So it just escalated beautifully and the execution was fantastic. It was good to see that Bailey as a champion wasn't getting over all the time but Sasha was also getting the opportunity to pin and get the victory over opponents it was just building her up even more and it was finally good to see that she was getting the title shot at Asuka at Extreme Rules when she asked for the Royal Women's Championship and now it's the moment you've all been waiting for especially you Joe (laughs) (laughs) Sasha's ring attire outfit whatever you want to call it was as always, on point, it was absolutely fire. Well, someone who wasn't quite as happy as you to see Sasha Banks was Oscar, who came firing down to the ring to accept the challenge and then was obviously attacked by Sasha and Bailey. The numbers game came into play and I just kind of felt like, meh, this could have happened next week. Like I've already seen Oscar defend a title. Did this have to happen now? I felt like it kind of killed the moment a bit personally. It definitely did, because for Asuka to win a match over Charlotte, which was one of the biggest things in a long time, in terms of storylines, was good to see. But then all of a sudden you have all that momentum just killed off when she gets attacked by both Sasha and Bailey. I'd understand if it was just Sasha who attacked her and Bailey was taken out of the picture, but mm. in this case we didn't get what we wanted and... It was a two-on-one situation where Asuka didn't come out on top. But it'll be good to see how this plays up all the way to Extreme Rules. Leave that until next week. Have Asuka address the challenge next week and then get beaten two-on-one. Why? Why did it have to be now? I just did not see the point. Did not see the point at all. It's too fast-paced. And it just kind of seems like we're on a bit of a roller coaster at the moment. And when you look at a roller coaster and think, well, that's going to be good. But it's actually just a series of small mounts. And you realize you're on a ride for three-year-olds and you think, oh, great. It kind of feels like that. (laughs) I'd rather have a climb and then a steep drop and then another climb and a steep drop. We're just going over bumps at the moment. And what could be really great storytelling is just being turned into kind of benign moments as opposed to real memories if that makes sense it definitely does but like i said i'm looking forward to this storyline because both 
competitors are so fierce when it comes to delivering their side of each storyline and working in the ring that I'm already shouting, take my money, give me more. Because this is, some, because this is something I want to see go really well and a lot of expectations out of this. Imagine the outfits. Imagine the outfits alone if Sasha Banks was Raw Women's Champion. So much to talk about. Fashion. We could have our own <laughs> wrestling attire podcast dedicated to Sasha Banks' wardrobe. <laughs> so Sasha, if you're listening, please, I'm waiting for your stylist or if you have one, wherever you get your outfits. And I'm asking for a friend. Not me. I'm just, <laughs> just going to make that clear. <laughs> I have no desire to wear the same clothes as Sasha Banks. Just to clear things up, if anyone thinks there's an ulterior motive for Shoji's admiration of Sasha Banks, it really is that he's genuinely interested in her attire. <laughs> like, that's legitimately it. The amount of off-air conversations we've had about ring gear is ridiculous. You're lucky that this is all you're hearing. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just because I love Sasha as a person and as a competitor so much. And to see her come out with all those great types of ring attire, you can just help but admire the way that she really addresses her character and works on it. Speaking of being fierce, MVP was up next with quite a fierce backstage segment explaining why Bobby Lashley attacking our truth was actually a statement. We're probably not going to see that rivalry play out. It was just a statement of Bobby Lashley exerting his dominance over the locker room. This storyline feels like when your best friend isn't available to go out, so you grab one of your reserve friends and go like, hey, I'm going to take you instead. This is what this storyline feels like. Like, hey, McIntyre's busy with Ziggler now, so what's Lashley mm. going to do? He's going to go after his reserve storyline, which is ragdolling R-Truth all over the place with a full Nelson, and then blaming it on Lashley not being able to win the title because of R-Truth last week. Yeah, I mean, if Lashley's not going to be in the picture, I'm happy that there's a sensical explanation and follow-through as to why and it would make sense to maybe go after R-Truth but like I said previously I don't really want to see it we've already seen them go head-to-head R-Truth doesn't really want anything to do with Bobby Lashley I think there's only so much those two guys can do as well particularly if you want to make it believable so I think it has its limits hopefully we're going to reach those limits really soon but within this moment we also saw MVP address Apollo Crews who he was slightly disappointed with for accepting the second challenge from Shelton Benjamin at rematch, which we would see a few moments later. Can we talk about the whole MVP and Apollo thing when we get to the match? Because it will make more sense. I'm just going to go through and then we're going to come right back to it. Because as you know about this episode of Raw, you're going to see the same person about eight times. So we're definitely going to come back to it. We had a moment just before that, though, where we saw Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot kind of have a bit of something backstage. What happened there? Like we mentioned earlier, after Natalia's match with Liv, she bumped into Ruby Riot, or rather Ruby Riot found her backstage feeling bad about the way that she lost to Natalia, attempted to talk to her, but Liv refused, saying that she's had absolutely nothing go her way and she doesn't need more to come and take her down, which I felt was, okay, yes, we kind of need this because Liv isn't living up to her full expectations when it comes to storyline she's not being used as much as she is supposed to be Mm. used and she's not being utilized as a competitor that we want to see and that she's been advertised as so to have ruby Riot, who again is an absolutely amazing person as well join the fray with Liv and go up against Mm. natalia and lana is something i am wanting to see 
I agree. I think this return could actually be a good thing. During the days of the Riot Squad, the others involved were kind of lost. It was more so about Ruby Riot, but now they've respectively had a chance to establish themselves. I think the two of them returning together to form a tag team would actually work quite nicely and it'd be a welcome addition to the women's tag team scene. Obviously, the belts are not going to stay on Bailey and Sasha forever. So to have those in the fray, I think would be ideal, particularly with what we said about the potential for Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross to go their separate ways or just reestablish themselves as singles competitors. That role could be kind of filled by those two. I'd be happy to see it. So yeah, I kind of liked that fire it lit. It was short but sweet, but it was nice. And then that took us back to the whole... MVP and Apollo thing. We thought Apollo was going to make a heel turn, but then Apollo talks about how all of his hard work has paid off and he's not going to take the bait. Before MVP suggested that the US title was either coming to, to him, he actually gestured towards himself, but that could mean him or Lashley. So a bit of an open end there. <sighs> like, I'm not about it. I'm really not about it. What do you think? What's going on here? I'm so confused. Yeah. It would have made sense for Apollo to accept MVP's offer this week, especially after what we saw last week when he used a dirty pin yeah. to get Shelton Benjamin to lose the match. But him denying MVP's guidance or MVP's expertise was kind of something that we needed at this point because Apollo's going back and forth with, I'm that guy who's happy to have this championship. I'm the guy who works really hard to keep this championship. And I'm the guy who's going to keep fighting for this championship. Yay. No. <laughs> no, have MVP, the guy who's pure gold in his managerial role at this time, have him manage Apollo, have him build up his clientele, and then potentially have MVP turn his back on Apollo saying that, well, this was all a way for me to get close to that U.S. title and now it's time I take it from you. Uh, That's storylines. WWE, if you're listening, I give this wow. advice to you free of charge. Please use it. You heard it here first. <laughs> Heart of the press. But no, it's a cool idea. I say this, I feel like I say it every week. Like, the better faces have usually been a heel. Like when Seth Rollins turned face after being aligned with Triple H as a heel. It was awesome. It was great. I could get behind him. And if you kind of had Apollo change his ways in accordance with MVP and go down that dark road, it could be really cool for a while. And then like you say, maybe MVP turns on him or you can kind of see that it's messing Apollo up and finally turns on MVP or something as a face. Like, yeah, I think there's a real scope there and it seems a bit like a missed opportunity. And if they do kind of go back the other way where it's like, oh, he might turn. Do you know what? I'm kind of over it. <laughs> like, it's like when you look both ways and there's no traffic coming so you decide to go it's like he's looked both ways and now he's still looking both ways there's no point you're going to miss the boat for sure that boat's already sailed this week was a perfect week to get Apollo into yeah. the MVP list of clientele but here's what confused me even more you have Shelton Benjamin who has absolutely nothing to do with MVP come out we think we're going to get an interview out of him or something out of him but instead MVP just rolls out of the ring and then Shelton Benjamin attacks him. I get that MVP is trying to tell Apollo that, hey, you're in a 2-1 situation, never turn your back, your blind spot's always your weak spot, so you're going to get taken out. But do this in a way that's more appealing to us, or have Shelton Benjamin sign as a client. That would be great yeah. to see. He deserves everything that's big in the WWE right now. I don't know why he hasn't been in the title picture since coming back. He's had... So many great opportunities. Right. He has biggest roles as a wrestler. 
especially after his history with the WWE. He needs to be champion. Yeah, uh, like they pitched him with Chad Gable, didn't they? Just because Jason Jordan got injured. It didn't sit well with me because it's like, oh, we've got a gimmick where we've got two wrestler characters. Sean Benjamin didn't used to be a wrestler character, and I'm, I'm hoping that's all they based it on. And they just threw him at it, and I just thought, what a waste. What an absolute waste. And that was the biggest thing he ever got. This is probably the most prominent picture we've seen him in since his return. And it really begs the question, why? Why? WWY? <laughs> that's the same question again. This match went on to confuse me slightly more because Shelton Benjamin was working on Apollo Crews' injured shoulder perfectly, but for some reason Apollo decided it was a perfect idea not to sell his injury and somehow managed to gorilla press him onto the mat. Absolutely. That was the turn up for the books. And then execute his finisher, which I actually do love, by the way. I love Apollo's finisher. But again, with... No apparent problems with the shoulder that has just been worked over throughout the entire match by Shelton Benjamin, who's a bit of a living legend. I thought the match was a bit scrappy. It didn't do anything for me. I still don't know why they put the belt on Apollo Crews, to be honest. You're asking the wrong guy. (laughs) (laughs) I think this would have worked out better if Shelton Benjamin used some heel tactic, got Mm. an advantage over Crews somehow, and pinned him, won the match, had MVP come back down into the rig and say, this is what happens when you don't sign with the best manager in the business or something like that. And then something like that would have been absolutely perfect way to end this match or even Uh, further the storyline. Initially, I thought maybe it was going to be a double cross angle where eventually it would be Shelton that got picked up, but that didn't happen either. And knowing the speed that they were burning through storylines this week on Raw... I don't feel like it's going to happen because I feel like it would have already happened or at least been strongly gestured that it was going to happen. So again, it begs the question why, to be honest. So it was a weak segment, not a fan of this title run at the moment. I thought it was going to turn into Apollo turning heel, which we agreed would be awesome. But yeah, it's much of a muchness at the moment, not a lot of anything going on. But finally, at the end of the match, we got to see one of the most, again, original things and the most surprising things we've ever seen. Bobby Lashley attacked Apollo Crews with a Nelson. The master lock. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't get why this is happening. Lashley isn't involved in this storyline. Lashley has nothing to do with Apollo Crews at this time. Why is he being involved in this? Why is he pushing himself into it? It always just feels forced and it's not something I want to see. I want to see him either go after R-Truth or somehow interfere in Dolph Ziggler and McIntyre's storyline of the championship. So if Lashley can cement the storyline and go after that, I'd really appreciate it. (laughs) You say that like you're his line manager. <laughs> like, can Lashley just come back off break? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of think it's going to be a, maybe a sympathy title run for Lashley. Uh, he didn't win the WWE belt, so they're going to put the US title on him. And it's going to be, oh, step on up, take on the almighty Bobby Lashley kind of thing. I don't want to see that. I don't know. Nothing's making me happy about the situation at the moment. Maybe things haven't simmered down after his role in the title scene, but. I honestly thought his title scene run was going so well and I was that intrigued by it that even though I didn't want a straight rematch for Extreme Rules, I'd be happy to see him in that picture again. Yeah, I'd be happy for him to come out on Raw and say, whoa, Dolph, wait there, and then them have a match or something and him 
kind of teeter around the border of the frame. Like, yeah, I don't need to see him dropping down to Apollo Crews. That would definitely be something I would be interested in watching. Distract Dolph Ziggler from the main goal, which is the WWE Championship, have his head all over the place, and then use that to your advantage. Take him out, challenge him to a match, or just go after McIntyre again, forcing this to become a triple threat, possibly which can turn out to be one of the greatest matches on the card at Extreme Rules. Do something that gets you over with the fans despite you being a heel and something that makes everyone want to watch even more well speaking of doing things that gets you over with the fans whether it's your heel or babyface we ended the show with a segment I actually thought was pretty good mysterio and dominic came down to the ring your favorite your man dominic is in the picture mysterio caught a really really deep-hearted promo where he kind of said how proud he was of dominic but how angry he was at the same time which obviously we've all heard from our father so we might have said and to our own children and dominic said i understand but then turned to the microphone and said this family wants a fight and i was like oh oh my goodness here it goes and of course seth came down again could a bit of a promo using again amazing language like people being slaughtered destiny sacrificed just fits his character perfectly before it looked like austin theory and buddy murphy were going to come down and the three of them would outnumber the Mysterio family. <laughs> I make it sound like they're on a game show, but I guess that's what they are. But that's not what happened. Do you want to talk us through the rest? That is definitely not what happened. Out of all the people, Alistair Black and Humberto Carrillo came out, took out Austin Theory, Buddy Murphy, and then rolled Seth Rollins into the ring, right into the pack of wolves, which were Rey Mysterio and Dominic. The Mysterio family. but Rollins managed to escape out of that into the corner and all four competitors worked on Austin Theory and Buddy Murphy taking the both of them out to make sure that they don't interfere in any way and they finally cornered Seth Rollins turning his attention to him and went to gouge his eye out onto the steel steps like he had done to Mysterio but somehow Buddy Murphy Austin Theory managed to save him from that And instead, they put Dominic in the situation where we thought his eye was about to pop out. And it was absolutely amazing to watch because he was saved thanks to Humberto Carrillo and Aleister Black coming to his aid with steel chairs and chasing off the trio of Rollins, Murphy, and Theory. Absolutely amazing segment. I loved it. There was personal touch to it, as we've seen throughout the night. There was so much that I loved about this. And like I said before, Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio, give me more. I want to see this more. I want to see how this ends. Me too. It really was an eye for an eye situation, wasn't it? I mean, I'm not saying bring back Kane's former character and make it a tooth for tooth (laughs) situation, though. But this whole eye thing just goes to show that if done as well as that, you you can make something as small as putting someone's eye on a steel step into a situation that's lasted over a month now. We thought we might get the match at Backlash, but they've played it out. We'll probably get it at Extreme Rules now. And they've done a great job with it. This is what I was talking about earlier about the whole roller coaster thing. And sometimes when they burn through the storylines, it feels like you're just going over little bumps. Whereas this has been a gradual build. You can slowly going up that steep slope. You can hear the chain ticking along and 
the intensity's building. Unlike a roller coaster, some more people are jumping on board in the way of Alistair Black and Umberto. Doesn't tend to happen when you're at Disney World. <laughs> but you get the picture. I'm trying to build an analogy here. And it's going well. I'm interested each week. I'm happy to see it. It's going to that next level every time. And it was a great way to end the show. So much drama, so much intensity. And I want to see what happens next. I definitely do. And like I said, Mysterio cutting that close to the bow and close to the heart promo about him being worried about Dominic because there was no telling if Dominic was going to come out of that three-on-one situation last week in one piece or if he was going to be dismantled or as Seth Rollins would say, slaughtered, sacrificed, Mm. whatever term you may want to use. But it was great to see that the concern existed and the dominance was shown when Mysterio and Dominic got the final laugh. That was a real moment of the night, and it begs the question, what was your moment of the night? You know, what did it for you? What made you think, yes, that's the headline from Monday Night Raw. That was gold. I'm going to remember that one heading into next week. I'm going to go with the end of the show as well, because, like I said, absolutely amazing, absolutely perfect way to close the show, and I'm looking forward to more coming from it but there were so many superstars involved in tonight's episode so many that we got to see multiple times it makes me want to know who you would crown your superstar of the night my superstar of the night i'm going to give it to sasha banks because i thought she worked the match brilliantly and her moment at the end that was fantastic and i thought the way that she played that out was perfect which i know you'll be happy about I'm definitely happy about that. I would, I'd say that Sasha is my superstar of the night, but Sasha and Seth Rollins kind of tied it for me. So I'm going to go with two superstars for today because I can't really choose between both of them. Yeah, for sure. The Monday Night Boss, that could be their tag team. Stop, please. Please. <laughs> Speaking of stopping, that brings us to the end of things. If you want to let us know about your match of the night, your superstar of the evening, please do. we love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Instagram and Twitter. They are our main ways of getting in touch. They're the ones that we open up first thing in the morning. You know, when you roll over and check your phone next to your bed, thinking, oh my gosh, am I late for work? And then you check your Instagram before you do anything else. <laughs> That's what we do too. So um, how could people get in touch with us? On Instagram, you can find us at the WrestleGram. On Twitter, you can find us at the Real Wrestle Dude. Nice. I will see you there online. We'll be back later this week to review this week's SmackDown. I'm really looking forward to that one. Loving everything that's going over on the Blue Brand at the moment. And that just about does it from me. Have a superb week, and I will see you on Saturday. That does it from me as well. But just before we end the show, if you haven't heard the rest of our episodes, make sure you do. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn, Overcast, and many different podcast platforms. All you have to do is search for the WrestleCast with Shozy and you'll have all the episodes that we've done in the past. But if you're not one of those people who feel like searching those certain platforms, you can always type and search into Google Again, that is the WrestleCast with Josie, and you will have a bunch of results on where you can listen to us. It's like whispering into the wind, isn't it? (laughs) Just open your back door, and you can just hear our melody playing through the atmosphere. (laughs) Jeff Hardy would be proud. Oh, yeah, nice. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Stop it, Joe. I need to lie down. But make sure you listen to 
the other episodes. Make sure you let us know what your predictions were, what you think was the moment that stole it all. And a huge shout out to my friend all the way from the USA. Chris has gotten in touch with us, letting us know what he thinks about this week's episode. He said he absolutely loved it, and he's looking forward to see where all these storylines are going. And Joe, he loves your little wordplay, and he wants to hear more from you. Nice. I'm actually writing a book at the moment of wrestling wordplay. So uh, just in time for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) So Chris, you can cop that book on Christmas. You'll enjoy it. Because I definitely do. I feel like I really have to write the book now. I've made a promise. <laughs> <laughs> that has been all from the WrestleCast review of Monday Night Raw. I've been Shozy. I've been Joe. And until next time. <laughs>